0: And so consequently, uh, you, you can look directly at uh, the church's lack of voice, a prophetic voice speaking into the culture uh, with the word of God that never changes. I'm the same yesterday, today and forever. God knows best about what makes people healthy and happy. And the simple reality is that when we stop pursuing a life that is holy, we will soon quit being healthy and we cannot live happy. If you try to live a life that's happy, apart from being holy, you'll be neither holy nor happy. That's so right. we We live in an age where people want to be happy, but they don't want to be holy. And so consequently, we're neither holy nor happy. Hey, we're a society going into anarchy. It's a state of anarchy where there is no authority. We've abandoned God's absolute authority. So consequently, even the church is in an anarchy, and therein in is a problem. As the church goes, so goes the nation.
1: So here's a great question for you, because I know there are lots of people listening that are in your neck of the woods. And if you are listening, you're anywhere near uh, Kansas City, Missouri, Lee Summit area, you got to check it out. You got to go visit Abundant Life. I live in uh, near Portland, Oregon, but if I live there. I'd be all over checking out Abundant Life. But Phil, for the people who are listening to this, and there are thousands of them who are saying, "Okay, I don't even know how to find a good church. How how can I how can I know that the place that I'm going is going to be giving me the truth of God's word? When you direct people to churches, what's the what what are some ways that you can help them find a healthy, uh, biblically sound church?
0: Well, there's there's two things you should look at kind of your litmus test, your metric for is this a biblical? biblical church uh, is the mission and the message all right. A lot of people look at all the peripheral issues. I don't like this church because it's the music, or I like this church because I love the music, or I love this church because they have an awesome kids program, or I don't like this church because they don't have anything for my teenagers. Those are all issues that you should consider, but the, the two, number one and two issues you should really consider, one, do they have the right mission? The mission of the church is make disciples. All right, Matthew 28, Jesus gave us the mission. It hasn't changed. Go you therefore, make disciples of all nations, beginning with the neighborhoods. So, Acts 1-8, not just do it globally, take it locally. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And so, is there a real vision to strategically advance the gospel to all nations, beginning with our neighbors, all right? Then the second thing is the message. Is this this really just a, a church for, you know, maybe a pep rally on Sunday morning? a little motiv- motivational speaking with maybe a Bible verse sprinkled in, or is it truly a church that is founded on the word of God where people are learning not just principles from the Bible, but they're actually learning the Bible. There's a difference between preaching the Bible and Teaching principles from the Bible like it's a success seminar. And then there's there's a place for that. I'm not saying that's completely wrong. I'm simply saying it won't take long. If you go four or five times, you'll figure out if this church is serious about the word of God or if they just say it. And uh, the key key thing is that you got to be serious about it. We believe it really is God's revelation to every generation, every man, every woman for all time.
1: And it does not change.
0: It doesn't change. God hasn't changed His mind about anything He has ever said. He's Wait, never changed His mind. Now we got to put it in a cultural context. Uh, we have to put it in the context of 21st century America to apply it to our lives. But but in terms of the doctrinal teaching, uh, the moral values as it pertains to uh, you know human sexuality and marriage and the sanctity of life. And uh, the theology related to who God is and who we are, it hasn't changed. God has not changed his mind about anything he's ever said.
1: That's right. And I, I have observed as I travel, you know, I travel for a living and I have been privileged to be in many churches over the years. And something I'm noticing as I travel the nation is that people are hungry for truth. They are starving for it. They're not getting it in their churches. We're not even getting really uh, so many Christian authors that I, that I know have kind of gone off the theological deep end. And what they're doing is they're, they're trying through the lens of Christianity to give people emotional answers for what is spiritual problem really is. So So the root is the spiritual problem. and We're giving people all these emotional answers. And a good church, and something I love about what you've been doing for all these many years now in Lee's Summit, is to say, no, there is a spiritual answer for your problem. The, the problem is spiritual in nature, and a good church is going to do that, right?
0: Well, absolutely. And I think part of the problem is a lot of pastors think that you know if, if we don't somehow make the truth more palatable... Uh, to our generation, and people won't come. Well, here's the reality. The truth is what sets people free. The truth is what changes lives. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. So here's the reality. The one thing that has the power to radically, truly transform a person's life is the one thing a lot of pastors are unwilling to fully release because we're afraid it's going to be offensive or we're afraid it's going to be divisive. Here's rally reality. The truth does divide. They crucified Jesus. They crucified the Christ. Yes, uh, not everybody is going to come to the truth, embrace the truth. Yet the reality is it draws more then it repels, because people want to be where lives are being transformed. I talked to a pastor of a mainline denomination that is dying in America. And he said, we know the numbers. We have already run the data. We know by the year 2050, if something doesn't change, our denomination will die. We are losing membership, we're dying off, the young people are leaving. And he wanted to ask me, because of the growth of our church, about methodology. Uh, models and philosophy I said no you're asking the wrong questions the problem is theology see this denomination many years ago had abandoned the Bible as an absolute and errant word of God so they now have a cut and paste theology and I said look why would young people stay when you're teaching them it's not true we need to tell them what to believe in not what to believe not in mm. right there's the issue uh, and there are hundreds and hundreds of millennials and 20somethings at our church every single week and it's because they have a cause they believe in and most importantly, their life has been radically changed by Jesus. Uh, yet the problem is we have a church in America now that denies the power, still so have that form of godliness and Paul prophesied it. It's like Timothy 3:5. Have the form of godliness. we go through the rituals and the routine. And the weekend motion of going to church, but the power of God has gone because we let go of the word of God. When you abandon the word of God, the spirit of God abandons you. And now you have dead religion. That's all it is. It can't give life.
1: It's powerful. It's a powerful truth and, uh, and parents, especially raising kids in the culture right now need to know that. I think so often, you know, we're drawn to the, the flashy. And like you were just saying, you know, does it have a great children's program? Does it have amazing music? Do we have a fog machine that's working? And if we don't, if we don't uh, really know the mission and the message of the church, which is, it should be right synced up with the mission and the message of Jesus, right? That's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. And that's what sets people free. Uh, Phil, when when we talk about your book, Defeating the Enemy, and I know you've got a new one coming out next year, which I'm really excited about because uh, I I love that you're equipping people to understand, to really understand what's happening around them, the spiritual battles that we're facing. Uh, we often think it's a, it's a flesh and blood enemy, right? We we can look at a people group. We can look at an ideology that's being pushed in the culture, but behind that ideology is always the adversary, right? If it's an ideology that opposes God, then it's the adversary. And when people are thinking about learning spiritual warfare, understanding how they can uh, defeat the enemy. I guess a good question for you, because you've written about this extensively, is why is it so important for us as believers to know and understand the enemy's tactics?
0: Yeah. So Amos said, My people suffer for lack of knowledge. You've heard the old saying, knowledge is power. People that lack knowledge lack power. We don't know our enemy. And one of the things I learned on the police part many years ago as a SWAT cop, before we would ever serve a search warrant, we might do surveillance for days maybe even weeks we would watch the criminal element we would learn their moves and only once we learn their moves did we make our move and so that's a critical element of warfare whether physical or spiritual you've got to know your adversary you've got to know their strategy and so consequently I wrote the book defeating the enemy what it is is intel on the adversary it's intelligence gathering and here's the reality second corinthians 2 verse 11 the apostle paul said we're not ignorant of his devices lest satan take advantage of us and here's the point satan takes advantage of many of us because we are ignorant of his devices but paul's point there is we don't have to be because we have the word of god to tell us the enemy moves and so his strategy has not changed since genesis chapter 3 he uses the same strategy on you and me that he used on eve at the tree he attacks through lies he attracts through lust Uh, it's a three-step process and you can trace this in genesis chapter 3 as he attacked eve first he disguised his appearance then he distorts man's mind and then he deceives with lies And so we have a society that has believed the lies of the enemy, consequently the lies of the enemy, is what takes us into captivity. Any area of your life where you're captive to something is a lie that you believe somewhere along the way. Jesus, said he's a liar and the father of lies. When you believe the lie of an enemy, you will go into captivity. Now, here's what Paul taught in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. What he was saying is, listen, our warfare is not physical. It's spiritual. Your real issue if you're an alcoholic is not the alcohol. Your real issue if you're a meth addict is not methamphetamine. Your real issue, if if you're addicted to nicotine, is not cigarette. Those are symptoms. And Satan loves you to fight against the wrong front. you got to get to the root of the issue. And that is the bondage that we're trying to overcome through physical solutions when what we need is not behavior modification. I'm going to try harder to do better. We need a work of the Holy Spirit inner transformation. And that's what Jesus can do. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed.
1: That's exactly right. I, I praise the Lord for what you're saying, because I think more people, I wish ever, I wish everybody uh, in the world could hear this, because it is the truth of the gospel. It's the message of Jesus that sets people free. And I'm always telling people, listen, uh, you got to know your adversary. You got to study him, because believe me, if you haven't studied him, he is studying you. Yeah, absolutely. He knows what your weaknesses are. Oh, yes. he, knows, he knows exactly how to get to you. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, I came to give him abundant life. I know that you've talked about this before, but really briefly, you know, If there's someone who's listening to this today, and they're like, "Man, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if it's possible. My life, I'm so screwed up. I've been uh, walking away from the Lord for so long, and I tried for that abundant life at one point, and it just seemed to it, uh, it was, uh, it eluded me. I couldn't find it. Is it possible?" Uh, to live, and I know what you're going to say, but I just want listeners to hear to live that abundant life that God has promised in His Word.
0: Well, it's absolutely possible, and uh, I want to encourage and maybe, hopefully, give a little hope to somebody out there. But uh, I-, I was probably one of the most screwed up people anybody's ever met. I-, I know it's possible, not just from the authority of God's Word, but personal experience. Heidi, mm, yeah. I, know I know where I've been in life. I know the self-destructive patterns of behavior that I was establishing early on in my life. And had Jesus not intersected my life, I I know today I would be an alcoholic. I'd be an addict. That was the path I was following. I would probably be a repeater cheater. I was going down a pathway of sexual addiction as a young adult. I, I know how people end up at that destination because I was going that direction and Jesus changed everything. Now here's what people need to remember. This is not a one and done. People think it's a quick fix. No, here's what happens. Jesus heals you instantly but then you need to be healed daily.
1: Mm.
0: He sets you free instantly but then you need to stay free daily. And so it is a process. People need to know that healing is as much of a journey as it is a destiny. And so uh, people often quite frankly quit too soon. They want it to be easy because we live in a time of society where we want to take a pill to lose weight. We don't actually don't want to have to work out or change the way we eat. Right. Uh, you know, we you know we we uh, you know we, we want a six figure income.
1: We want our uh, best life as as now. We, exactly. We want it right now. We
0: you know the best life is what Paul called the crucified life. Yes. All right. So if you want to live the abundant life, what it means is the crucified life. And that's not coming to dine. That's coming to die. Mm. And that's the key. That's the paradox. It's not a life of suppression, rather a life of submission. I want to suppress my sin. I want to manage my sin. Heidi, like I managed my dandelion problem at my house. Mow them over. Yep. Looks good for a few days.
1: How's that working for you?
0: Uh, yeah, it, I can manage it for a little bit, but eventually the weeds pop up again. I didn't get to the root of the problem, did I? Right. I got to get below the surface, and only Jesus can do that. And uh, that comes not by suppression, but a life of submission. And here's the reality: we can live a life of liberty, 2 Corinthians 3:17. But liberty and authority go hand in hand. To the degree I'm submitted to Christ's authority, is the degree I'm going to walk daily in that liberty.
1: So powerful! It's so it's so good uh, for everyone who's listening. And they they're thinking, all right. So Phils wrote this book, Defeating the Enemy. You know, Heidi read it. She talks about it. Why should somebody consider? Uh, reading the, who's the, who's the person that you're trying to reach with defeating the enemy?
0: Well, men and women. Uh, it's it's really a book for any Christian uh, that wants to live in all the promises and all the power uh, that the New Testament promises us. I've come to give you life and have it more abundantly. Why aren't more people living that way? So it's learning practically how to take this theology and live it out daily. That's really the goal of the book. We talk about the, the theology of Satan, where he came from, what does he want, why are we at war? And then the last half is really a practical handbook on warfare, understanding the enemy and understanding myself. What people have to know is that Satan crafts the bait he knows you're apt to take. Because he knows the brokenness of your life, all right? Jesus quoted in Luke 4 from the Isaiah scroll. He said, The Spirit of the Lord God has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And I want you to notice the order here. First, he says, I've got to bind up your broken heart. Then he comes to set the captive free. And so what we need to learn is that my bondage is related to my brokenness, that broken heart inside of all of us, broken by the sin committed by us or sin committed against us. Satan knows that brokenness, and then he crafts the bait based on our area of brokenness. We call it today baggage. He knows the baggage that we brought with us into adulthood from our childhood. And we started picking up those lies early on in life. The lie that you believe the earliest is the lie that you believe the longest. Mm. I dealt with deeps. Here I was a Division One football player. I, I was big man on campus. I'm the kid walking around the high school with all these patches on my letter jacket. Everybody would have thought, Phil is this popular kid. He's the school jock, division one athlete. I was full of insecurity. I was full of anxiety about my masculinity as a young man. I was full of feelings of being unworthy because of the rejection I had endured at the in these uh, adolescent teeny bopper relationships that had deeply impacted yep it was a it was a soul wound and so consequently because of this brokenness Satan knew the, the bait I was apt to take uh, and I began pursuing women as a young man and, and seeking their affirmation and uh, feeding that broken masculinity inside of me by their attention now that is the beginning of sexual addiction. And I know it personally. I know, I know what drives men to pornography or into affair. It is not the sex, it's the emotional fix. Mm. Okay? Satan knows that too. He knows it better than you. So he crafts the bait specifically for you based on your brokenness. Then that becomes your bondage. So there's the prison. So what did Jesus say? First, I need to heal your broken heart. And then. I can set you free from your bondage. See, we try to get set free from our bondage before we deal with the brokenness in our heart. And that's why most of the time, counseling doesn't work. 12-step programs, behavior modification, self-reformation, another New Year's resolution. No, You've got to get to the heart of the problem. And the heart of the problem is the human heart.
1: So good. I'm sitting here, uh, like I always do when I listen to you. I can't write fast enough, so I'm going to go back and listen to this again. (laughs) You have uh, so encouraged us. We've gone a little bit over today, but I want to just encourage listeners today. I want I will link back to uh, Phil's book, Defeating the Enemy, in the show notes today. You can find Phil's church, if you're anywhere near uh, Lee Summit, Kansas City, Missouri, you can find them at AbundantLifeLS, right? Is that right? Dot com? Yes. yes. Uh, and then Phil, you have a website too. Is it philhopper.org? Org.
0: philhopper.org. Okay. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So (laughs)
1: philhopper.org. Phil, you are a a treasure to the Lord and to his people. And I'm so grateful uh, for you taking the time to come on here and reach out to my audience and just encourage them that they can have victory. And it comes from Jesus. Thank you so much for coming here. I appreciate it.
0: God bless you, Heidi.
1: Thank you. For more information on Abundant Life, check them out at AbundantLifeLS.com. And I will link, if, if you're driving, you know, don't pull off the side of the road. I will link back to this in the show notes. Like I always do, you can go to com forward slash podcast. These show notes are now being transcribed and the scripture writing challenge is being translated into Spanish now. So if you're interested in digging deeper into the Word of God, uh, with me at Mom Strong International, or you want to know more about the Word of God, about Phil's message and my message is the same and that is there is hope and freedom in Jesus. So I hope you guys have been encouraged today. And uh, I hope you'll dig into the word of God with us. I also want to give a big shout out to our sponsor today. And I know that summer is finally here. Amen. 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 But for those of you who are thinking about fall curriculum and fall classes, uh, we are excited because here at the podcast, we have partnered with the kingdom code. And you guys, I got to tell you, they have an awesome course for students ages nine to 13 that I think you are going to love. The kingdom. Code provides parents with easy-to-follow lessons that include a separate teacher's guide, worksheets, assessments, flashcards, activities, extra bonus activities, and a system to reward your kids as they progress through. Through the lessons. The course is for families, not just for homeschoolers. And the Kingdom Code's goal is to empower Christian students with life lessons that will empower them to be the leaders in whatever profession they choose. So if you guys want more information, visit the forward slash Heidi, and you guys will get a coupon for free samples and ten percent off your entire purchase. So remember it's the T H E Kingdomcode.com forward slash. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I'll see you back here on Monday. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com. everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Welcome to the Heidi St. John podcast. This is Meet My Friend Friday. And as always, I want to have uh, people on the show with me who are thought leaders who are leading people into closer relationship with the Lord. And today is no exception to that. My friend, Pastor Phil Hopper, who is the senior pastor at Abundant Life Church in Lee Summit, Missouri, and also an incredibly gifted author is on the show with me today. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare and what it really means to get off off the bench and onto the battlefield. Stick around, I think you're going to be encouraged. All right, So lots of stuff coming down the pike. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you guys uh, spending a little bit of your Friday morning with me. Um, I want to say thank you also to those of you who've been leaving reviews for the podcast over at iTunes. We've got well over a thousand reviews there now. And this uh, podcast is reaching right around a 100,000 listeners every time it airs. So thank you for tuning in and for sharing the podcast and for leaving reviews. Uh, for the summertime, we've been going through the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to be talking about the fruits of the Spirit for the month of July as they relate to biblical womanhood. So the topic of male and female is very much under attack in the culture. You guys hear me talking about that all the time here at the show. And so for the month of July, we're going to talk about what it means to be an image bearer. How do we reflect the image of the one who made us? And I remember the first time I heard the term image bearer, I didn't get it, right? Whose image am I supposed to be bearing? The Culture says to be you but who am I really? And as women, we hear many voices when it comes to our identity. Uh, Some cultures will suggest that women are not equal to men going so far as to restrict their personal and intellectual freedom. Some cultures even cover the beauty of women with excessive clothing. Western culture, on the other hand, is at war with the idea that women are even different from men, though the truth of this fact is obvious in scripture and in creation. So what's beneath the struggle? It's self-worth, identity, and belonging. So we're going to we're We're going to dig deep into that at MomStrong International for the month of July. I hope you guys will join us there. All right, without further ado, I want to introduce my guest today. I'm thrilled to have Phil Hopper on the show with me today. Phil has become a friend of mine. I was introduced to him uh, from my friend, Steve Lambert, who's been on the show with me a couple of times. Phil is the lead pastor of Abundant Life Church in Lee Summit, Missouri. He's been there since 2000, and he has an extraordinary ministry there, uh, of which I have been blessed to just be a little bit of a part of from the sidelines Uh, but he has an incredible testimony and he just uh, he wrote a book last year which I loved and talked about on the show uh, with you defeating the enemy so we're going to be talking about that and all things uh, spiritual warfare Phil and his wife Krista have three grown children Phil welcome to the podcast
0: Heidi, I'm so excited to be on your podcast and to get uh, more and more people on the battlefield. That's what we're talking about today. That's what the book is about. I'm just thrilled that I get to be a part of your ministry and that you get to be a part of ours, Heidi. We need your voice in the body wow. of Christ.
1: I am thrilled that you're here and I love what you're doing. I remember uh, when Steve sent me a link to your church and he's like, you got to watch this guy. He's so good. I, I texted him back and I was like, oh my word, if I lived in Lee Summit, uh, that's where I'd be. I'd be all over attending Abundant Life, partly because you're really equipping the body of Christ with the truth of God's word and reminding them every week that it doesn't change even though the culture is rapidly changing.
0: That's right. Uh, I feel like honestly uh, the enemy has disarmed the body of Christ. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. Eight out of ten churches in America no longer believe the Bible is truly the inerrant and fallible word of God. So consequently Second Timothy three five says we live in a time where we have this form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And so the very thing that was meant to give life the church The gospel can now only uh, keep dead people dead. And so uh, that's why we're just a, a church that believes the word of God still is the most powerful thing we have in our hands. It is powerful to change lives. The gospel is still the most relevant message we have in changing times. It's still that old time truth that Christ died for our sins and rose again, Heidi.
1: Yeah, it's it's a powerful truth. And you have experienced the life-changing power of Jesus and his healing power in your own life. So I would love it if you, you have an amazing testimony. I was telling you before the show aired that I have it here and I could read it, but it's so much better coming from you. So can you give, since this is your first time on the show, can you uh, introduce yourself and kind of where you've come from so people can kind of get a sense of what God's been doing in your life?
0: Yeah, sure. So back in the nineties, as a Much younger man. I took up a career in law enforcement, left University of Kansas, and went right into the police academy. And excited about a career in law enforcement. People ask sometimes, why do you want to be a cop? The interview answer is because I want to help people. The real answer is I didn't want to be bored. And I can honestly say I was never, ever born. And so really enjoying that chosen career path. By that time, I was walking with Jesus. Uh, I spent many years as a prodigal son, having been raised in a Christian family. But by my teenage years into my young adulthood, was very much a prodigal in the far country living in the pen of sin. But, you know, Hebrews 12 has a promise. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son that he receives. And he that is without chastening is an illegitimate son. So to make a long story short, at 21 years of age, I'm coming home from University of Kansas for Christmas break. I get run off the road by an 18-wheeler. Uh, I'm out of control I come back on the interstate and I realize I'm about to hit another 18-wheeler and that day I really resigned my life in that moment I really thought I was gonna die Uh, but as you can see I lived but I tell people that day in December 1989 is the day I went to a funeral and that funeral was mine and that day I died I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ And I can honestly tell you the moment I did, a new man was born, and I've never been more alive. And I started walking with the Lord then at 21 years of age and went on the police department just a couple years later, thought I would do that for the next 25, 30 years of my life. But, you know, when you begin to really pursue Jesus and begin to live life with that eternal view, you'd never know for sure where it's going to lead. I had no idea it would lead to vocational ministry, I'd started going to a little church in Lee Summit, a little church plant with uh, my young family. Hadn't been going there very long. Then one Tuesday night, uh, the phone rang and found out our pastor had resigned, and they'd asked me to come fill in that Sunday morning and preach. And Of course, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd preached twice in my entire life at that time. Once was on a Sunday night to about 12 people, two of which were mom and dad, and four of which were cops I brought along with me. <laughs> just to make sure I had an audience. So, you know,
1: <laughs> I do. Uh, I do know.
0: Yeah. yeah. The, the second time I was on a mission trip to Mexico and nobody could understand a word I was saying anyway. So <laughs> my third time ever really preaching was to this little church uh, in the fall of 1999. I'm just really a young cop and uh, just trying to fill in one Sunday. I thought it'd be one and done. But Heidi, they asked me to do it again the next week. And then they asked me to do it again the next week. To my amazement, they asked me to fill in till we found somebody full time, till we found a real preacher, you might say. (laughs) And four four months later, they called me to be their pastor. And in March of 2000, I went to bed a cop. I woke up a pastor, and that was a Going on twenty years ago, it's hard to believe now.
1: Wow, it's amazing! And you yeah. weren't just—you really weren't just uh, any old cop. You were a SWAT officer, right? Did I, I read right that you got the 1997 SWAT Officer of the Year award? That's like—that's no joke, man. So,
0: myself and our squad was awarded the 1997 National Tactical Officer of the Year award, and we had saved uh, a woman who had been taken hostage. Uh, by her estranged husband and it was kind of one of those moments you train for that you're never really sure will happen but really one of those moments you see in the movies, it really was one of those moments where uh, it was going down and all the times that we trained and trained and trained, this is the moment of truth we knew that life and death hangs in the balance and uh, the good guys won that day, sadly the bad guy lost his life but that's what we we were awarded that and several other awards uh 1997 gold award for valor from local news station here so uh wow. i don't take any credit for any of that either being a cop especially a SWAT cop is very much a a team concept but you know all of that prepared me for ministry the ultimate team is the body of Christ moving together against an adversary that we cannot see is very much like moving with a group of men you can see against an enemy physically. There's so many parallels. And what I couldn't have imagined then is that God was preparing me in a very unique way for ministry, Heidi.
1: Well, and I'm listening to you talk about... Uh, you, t- you stole my segue, Phil. Thanks a lot. Amen. Cause I was listening to you talk about this and I was thinking, Oh my goodness. Here's the Lord. He got you out there and you can see a, a physical enemy in front of you. You got teammates around you. You guys know you got a partner thing going on. Mm-hmm. And then he takes you really out of the frying pan and into the fire because, uh, you know, as well as I do, and a lot of our listeners very much aware that the enemy that the, that the apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians six is very, very real. And you wrote about this uh, in your book, Defeating the Enemy. And I just think it's so fascinating because you've got a very unique perspective as a police officer, seeing the real evil that's out in the world. And yet the Lord has brought you into the church. And now you're fighting, you're you're helping to equip other people to fight a spiritual battle. What's the biggest threat that you see uh, to the church right now as it relates to the spiritual battle that we're fighting?
0: Well, the biggest threat, I think, Heidi, is not the persecution from without. Uh, what Satan could not do over the course of generations through outward persecution, he is succeeding in doing through inner corruption, erosion, and infiltration and deception. The number one enemy that church faces is not on the outside, it's on the inside. Eighty yep. percent of American churches do not believe the word of God is inerrant, without error, or, or infallible has imperfect or God breathed God inspired so consequently we live at a time where the average church and the average clergy has a cut and paste theology and with that cut and paste theology, Uh, comes a watered-down, anemic Christianity. A.W. Tozer said, in most churches, if the gospel were poison, it wouldn't kill anybody, and if it were medicine, it wouldn't cure anybody. Mm. Uh, Right there's the problem. A watered-down, anemic Christianity, because we don't take the Word of God seriously, so consequently, we are easy, easy prey to the adversary. Uh, and that's why I, I'm so passionate about this. And I wrote this book because, you know, you see these terms in the New Testament. Like Jesus said, I came to give them life. And they you have it more abundantly. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.14, He always causes us to live triumphantly. 1 uh, Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. So here are the adjectives the New Testament describes that ought to be the normal Christian life. Life abundantly, victoriously, triumphantly liberty Jesus said I came to set you free but yet so many Christians live in mediocrity if not complete slavery so i notice this pattern after being in the ministry for years where is the abundant life and that's the name of our church it comes from john 10:10 10, 10, the abundant life why aren't we living the abundant life why are so many Christians living at best in mediocrity or inconsistent victory, and in some cases, complete captivity, addiction, depression, uh, you know, prison, in terms of sin and these invisible bars that they live behind. And so uh, I, I was moved finally to write this book, and for a long time I thought, you know, what do I have to say that hadn't already been said? I realized I, I do have something to say, maybe in a new way, from a perspective of a guy that spent years in law enforcement that might really help connect some dots for people so that they can live out practically the victory that Jesus won for us at Calvary. This is more than theology. This is more than just a theory. People really can't appropriate it daily. And that's what I want to help people do, Heidi.
1: Yeah, and it's so it's so true. You know, we talk about living a life that's abundant and we know because the Bible teaches us that we have an adversary and he comes to kill and steal and destroy, but we yeah. see God's people living in captivity to sin and in many ways in the culture now celebrating it. Part of, and you and I have talked about this before, but part of my frustration with the church out there at large is that we have done exactly what you're observing, which is to step away from the authority and the inerrancy of scripture. So I want to ask you really quickly because I know there are a lot of people listening to this right now who are like, why does it matter? Read, so what? You read the word and you think, uh, maybe God, maybe that's allegory. Maybe God didn't really mean that. Or maybe he, you know, the culture's changed. God didn't mean what he said about homosexuality. He, you know, these this book was written a long time ago. Why is it so important that we do what God asks? And that is to take his word at face value, to believe that it is in the, the inerrant inspired word of God. Why is it so important?
0: Ooh. It really comes down to who will we believe? The world says one thing, God says another thing, so who will we believe knows best about our lives and I would suggest that we can see this if people pay attention to the facts and we live in an age where feelings always trump facts its uh, it, it, people make purely emotionally based decisions, and God made us emotional creatures, the emotions aren 't bad. But we've never been called to check our brains either, all right? The prophet Isaiah said, come now, let us reason together. So here, here's the rational, reasonable facts that we live in today. Teenage and 20-something suicides at an all-time high. For the first time ever in American history, the life expectancy of the average American has gone down instead of up. And the reason why is more and more younger people are committing suicide. They're lowering the average life expectancy not only do you see soaring rates of suicide you see soaring rates of stds among american teens soaring rates of unpro, uh, unwanted pregnancies you see increasing numbers of broken families broken hearts broken form Hey, depression is an absolute epidemic among america's young people you can ask anybody in the counseling industry so here, here we live in a society that says oh we're enlightened we are finally free from those ancient, antiquated moral values taught in the Bible. Yet the interesting thing is, we're not free. We're a society going into captivity. Captivity to suicide, depression, addiction. We are the most addicted generation in all of American history. Everybody knows about the opioid epidemic. Yet here we have a generation that's the most addicted generation in history, a generation where there's more suicides than any other generation in history a generation with more depression than any other generation in history. So clearly, we're not a, we're, we're not a people getting free, we're a people going into captivity.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I read the other day that on average, millennials spend six and a half hours a day on social media and uh, that they would, re- that they are regarding themselves as one of the most lost and the most lonely generations in history. And yet we have a church in its effort to become relevant. We've ditched the thing that makes us relevant which is the hope that comes from knowing Jesus. Yes.
0: This is the social sciences. This isn't preacher rhetoric, preacher propaganda. This is the social scientists who are saying this, Heidi. This is the data.